Good evening, everyone. So you're back for another podcast today. We're here with Nisha Himes. Um, she, um, so I, I just found her via Instagram um, because of the foundation that she has created that she will obviously talk, talk us a little bit more about it. So I won't disclose it yet. Um, I'm pretty excited about today's story. We have talked a little bit, a little bit about um, different topics, but we have not really necessarily addressed this one yet. And therefore, I think it's super cool that she uh, accepted to join us on the podcast. Not everyone is always willing to do that. And therefore, I'm super happy to have, it, to have you today. Um, usually, I ask people to, the, our guests, to just give us a bit of introduction who you are. So people that are listening or will listen kind of learn a little bit more, more about you. And then we take it from there. Okay. So, Hello, <laughs> thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Nisha. I am a, am I supposed to say where I am? I'm here in Virginia in the United States. Um, I am the founder of a nonprofit organization. I don't know if I'm saying the name now or you saying it later. Uh, oh, okay. So I'm the founder of a nonprofit organization called Grow Foundation. And Grow is an acronym for Girls Recognizing Our Worth. And it's a nonprofit organization that assists victims and survivors of domestic violence with the tools needed to rebuild their lives after abuse. I'm a survivor of domestic violence myself, so the cause is very important to me. It's important to help those who are in that situation get out, as well as bring awareness, reach out to the community, just to kind of shed light on this topic that so many like to keep in the dark. Um, what else? I'm I'm funny. I I I I like hanging with my family and my friends. I love chocolate chip cookies and I love to dance. <laughs> That's it. That's what we got. Cool. Um, Grow Foundation. So you 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 mentioned yourself. So we are talking a little bit today about domestic violence. Um, right. And, and it is it's a topic that it's kind of I would say taboo in a lot of places. Um, mm -hmm. In some in so many countries, probably United States. I, I'm not necessarily, but in so many other places around the world, it's, right. it's sometimes taken as it's okay because it's within the, the house and they're married and therefore it's just a kind of a discipline type of thing. And that is, that is really ridiculous, right? In today's right. world, how can it still that be the case? Right. Um, could you tell us a bit more about your personal story? Whatever you can tell us that you feel comfortable to because oh. it's a very good starting point. Sure. I'm very open about it because transparency is kind of key in doing advocacy and making your story relevant to those who may still be going through it or have just left that situation or know somebody who's in it. But basically I was in a relationship for five years and knowing what I know now, I know that the first year was very, it had elements of control, manipulation, isolation, and things like that. But at that time, I either didn't know that there were red flags or I, I chose to ignore that there were red flags. So then in the second and third year, became very verbally, emotionally abusive where it was like, so it still had the control of the isolation, but now we insert name calling, we insert breaking someone down with put downs and body shaming and just various things just to kind of break down your confidence and get you to a point where you start questioning your self-worth. And then the last year and a half to the fifth year included all of the above. 
and then also included the physical violence. So I've been through everything from as small as a shove to as serious as strangulation, um, broken bones, um, black eyes, you know. So I got very good at doing my makeup and, and covering it up at work. I would go and work a regular job and uh, then not tell anybody what I was going through. I have children, but this person isn't, I don't have children with this person. So this was somebody I dated after the relationship with my children's father ended. And I say that even not having children with this person, it was still very difficult to get out of that relationship. So uh, I got out eventually. And I mean, after many attempts and after I got out, maybe two years after I got out, I decided to tell my story. And I do spoken word poetry. So I love like writing and I love performing poetry. It's always been very therapeutic. And the first time I told my story, I was holding a microphone and I was on the stage in front of people I didn't know. Friends, poetry friends, but an audience. And what was supposed to help heal me and because I was angry and I, and I was hurt and didn't know how to deal with what was going on that I now know was like PTSD from trauma and things like that. I found that it was helping other people and people started coming up to me. Um, I heard your story. My daughter's going through this. My sister, I'm going through this. My brother, my father, whoever. And then I started getting asked to tell my story more. So that's kind of what led me on this, this mission to not be quiet and to just to tell everybody about you know how to recognize your worth how to fight for your worth and what this deadly epidemic can do okay um just a quick question i think you are probably hitting something with your hands oh oh sorry, sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's okay this is a very informal <laughs> podcast so we don't we don't care too much about that I'm okay. just telling you so we don't bother the people listening up okay um, and back to what's really relevant so and I have no experts at all in either way, luckily. Um, but one of the things I, I I've read a lot when I was uh, investigating a little bit about it. So I've I've done I've do a lot of I do a lot of social research um, mm -hmm. in my in my in my work. Um, and uh, one of the things I I learned is that the first step to get out of it is the hardest one because of psychological trauma, because of uh, shame, because of so many things. Friends. Uh, I don't know, there's a whole world of reasons why people tend to, to not get out of it. And sometimes even because you find yourself excusing the, the behavior of the other, the other half. Um, right. How, how was that journey for you? You mentioned several attempts. How did you come to a conclusion that that's enough, it's enough, and I got to do something with myself? That's a good question. So it was very difficult because when you're at that point you already believe like you're worthless you believe that no one is ever going to want you you believe that what's been happening to you you deserved it you believe that it's your fault that you're dramatic that you've made it up and things like that because a lot of times people think abuse is just physical abuse and they don't take into consideration all the steps that happened before it got to be physical. So that emotional abuse, that mental 
So by the time it gets to physical, you've already been pretty much brainwashed mm-hmm. to thinking, you know what, I did this, I deserve this, I'm dramatic, I'm overreacting, he or she only treated me this way because of something I did. So for me to get out, it was really, um, what made me get out, when I talk to survivors all the time, a lot of times they'll tell me it was something small, like in the grand scheme of things, after everything they've gone through, it's always something small that's like the final step. And for me, it was, this was an interracial relationship and in, a, in, in an argument, excuse my dog, my little dog is barking. This was an interracial relationship and in an argument, he called my family the N-word and a racial slur. So for me, that's what made me leave. That, I'm so mad at him. You want to be part of the podcast, it's okay. And he went Bentley. <laughs> he that's what made me leave. So it was like one thing for me to accept ridiculous disrespect and you know and accept that behavior for myself, but it was another thing for me to accept it on behalf of people I love and they're not there to defend themselves. So I had to tell myself that I have to go, it's just gonna get worse. And at this point, it's either gonna be him or me. You know, and and I was afraid of where I was at that point in my life where I was so, I mean, depressed, like suicidal, and it literally came down to my thoughts were, is it him or it's me? So I left. Um, One of the things that I I always ask myself when I'm listening to these stories is, um, Mm -hmm. when you get out of it, um, you, you, as you said, you are mentally destroyed right and right. you you the way you get out to your own life and, and then it brings a bit of mental health and how do you recover your mental health well, what is the journey the moment you said that's it i'm out to and, and and the moment you did it i i understand as you also said there is a lot of damage in your mind um right. how, how do you how do you build it up from there how do you get out of it and then get yourself healed to a certain extent to then two years later starting also helping others. You can't help others if you did, if you did not help yourself, right? So you had to go through right. this journey. How was that? I'm gonna be honest, it's still an everyday healing process. At that point, because I, if I think back to the woman I was back then, I was like completely different than I am now, completely broken. Back then, I hated looking in the mirror. Every time I did, it was just, I saw something worthless or ugly or just all these things. And now I walk past the mirror and I'm like, girl, you're cute. You know, like, you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, I look at you with your fine self or, or whatever. And I think it just, it starts with building yourself up daily, even if it's just telling yourself, I don't deserve this. You know, even if you can't look at yourself in the mirror yet and say, you know what, you're beautiful, you're intelligent, you're amazing, you can do all these things. Even if it's just, I don't deserve how I was being treated and telling yourself that. And then, you know, maybe the next day you can give yourself a compliment. Maybe the day after that, you can acknowledge something positive within yourself. I speak to survivors a lot of times and in the course of a conversation, I hear them berate themselves. And I'll tell them, I said, you know what? You just berated yourself about 
two, three times. So I'm going to need about five compliments, five positive things, since you just shut yourself down three times. Let's combat that and give ourselves double the compliments. And they'll say something like, oh, I'm having a good hair day today, or, or I wasn't late to work, or, or just it's the small things. And we have to celebrate the small victories. So it's a daily process, even now, years removed from that relationship, sometimes that little voice, those little doubts will come in and I have to tell myself, no, I've come a long way. No, I'm not stupid. I'm not this, I'm not that. And, and it's just, you have to keep building yourself up every single day. You have to hang around positive people, people who build you up and don't break you down. You have to learn to accept your flaws and be okay with them. And it's just, it's a daily, I wish I had like a definite recipe for you, but it's literally like a daily rebuilding process. Yeah. And I understand that. I'm definitely not looking for the, the magic formula. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would love that you had that. I think that <laughs> people like you all over the world. Uh, and and I, I, when I do this project, one of the reasons I say um, that is, it's a fantastic project because it's a, it's a win-win. I never lose by because right. I just listen to stories like yours. And first, I feel like my problems are nothing compared to that. Um, but I also learn so much about people um, and behavior and inspirational uh, behavior that make me think that there is a there is a there is some hope on human humankind. Um, right. The, the, one of so we talked about yourself and we talked about your story for a bit and we'll go back to that in, in a bit later. But you you keep mentioning survivors and that is that is one of the reasons this project exists. So it's about also insp inspiring others to do something. So tell us a little bit of the journey. So we started with, your, with yourself. You 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 started your healing process. It is an ongoing situation and it's an ongoing process. Right. And then you you create your growth foundation. Um, two years later, after you, you left the, the relationship. How did you start that and what kind of challenges have you faced to start? And tell us a little bit about the people you meet. You don't have to tell us individual stories, but how does that feel on a daily basis to help so many people? So how I started it was at the time I was working for a law firm that specialized in real estate. And I was getting busier with my community activism i guess as far as speaking out about domestic violence and the more i spoke out about it the more i wanted to do more and my real estate my nine to five was in the way that's how i felt i said oh this real estate is it's not my passion it's it's taking away time where i could be out saving the world that's what i thought so then what happened was the more i started speaking out about it someone reached out to me for help. It first started with a young lady reached out and she said that she had just left abuse and she was living in her car with her daughter and she didn't know what to do. And all she said was, how did you do it? She didn't ask me for money. She didn't ask me to come buy her anything. She just said, how did you do it? And it kind of started from there. And I met up with her. I had her meet me at a hotel that I used to escape to all the time. And I paid for her to have a room for a few nights and we talked and it just went from there. So then with her needing help, I reached out on social media and I said, hey, you know, we got this young lady, she needs help. Can anyone donate 
toiletries? Can anyone donate food, socks, whatever? And people started donating. So I was just like, oh, wow, this is cool. So that happened again with another young lady. It happened again with another young lady. And I wanted to do more. So I went to my boss at the time. And that law firm specialized in also nonprofit setup and small business setup. And I asked them if they would help me get my paperwork in order because I wanted to start a nonprofit organization and they helped me. So I started grow in August, 2016. It was officially official. And from there, it's just been growing, no pun intended. So we've helped people. Sometimes people hit us up just to talk. They'll say, I just need someone to talk to. A lot of times we'll get survivors who here is it's like, it's sometimes it's, a, it's, it's hard sometimes because there's not enough resources. Mm -hmm. And then there's not, with those lack of resources, you're forced almost to go back. If you don't have a support system, if you don't have resources, if there's no room in the shelter, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to be homeless? Are you supposed to sleep in your car with your children in the cold of the winter or the hot of the summer? So then you make the decision to go back and just try to hang in there until those resources are available. So GROW tries to connect people with those resources. So I've built relationships with agencies in the community. And I'll say, hey, I got this girl, she called, she said she was told the beds are all full, but she has nowhere to go. So what can we do? You know, And it's about advocating for these people who may not necessarily know how to advocate for themselves. So it may be somebody who doesn't have a bed and they just need to get into a shelter. I've had people who, they lost everything. They didn't have a car, they didn't have a house, they didn't have money, they didn't have food, they didn't have clothing, they didn't have shoes. It was just a gambit of things. I've had where maybe survivors who are immigrants, they don't have, they can't, English isn't their first language, mm -hmm. and that's used against them, you know, that the person threatens to have their visa application destroyed or, or they'll tell them they'll have them deported so it's just an array of challenges that survivors face and we try to assist the best way we can with each of those challenges um you know the and and this is maybe just a curiosity of mine um i i feel that um in in the in the in the survivors as you say there is a there is a much bigger awareness for for um, violence or domestic violence against women. Um, yes. And, and the, but there is also against men, right? But there is yes. kind of, I know, some, some, some men are afraid to talk about it because they may sound weaker or less masculine. Um, right. How do you, I'll, what is your view on that? How do you feel that also with your survivors? And I don't know if this is like a fact or we have so many stories about it. It's just a feeling that that sounds like that. It, men are greatly affected as well. And so when I eventually left that real estate law firm that I used to work for, I wasn't in a position where I could do my nonprofit just by itself. I still had to work, unfortunately. So I wound up getting a job with the prosecutor's office. So they prosecuted criminal cases. Mm -hmm. And I worked in a domestic violence unit there. So my nine to five job was in domestic violence. And then I had my nonprofit. So I, I was just seeing and dealing with domestic violence all day. 
but it wasn't until I worked in the court system with that prosecution office that I saw how many men were affected as well. So I hear the statistics, at least here, it's, it's one in four men deal with domestic violence and one in seven deal are the, have been the victim of severe intimate partner violence from like stabbing, shooting, things like that. But you don't really hear people talk about that. So when I worked in that job and I would go to court every day, I would see men in court as victims as much as I would see women. And they were in more disbelief that they were a victim. It was harder for them to accept that they were the victim of a crime. And especially whether it was a heterosexual relationship where the aggressor was a woman, or if it was a gay relationship. And I mean, I've talked to men I've, who are just like, no, I'm not in an abusive relationship. I'm a man. I can't be. Yeah. You know, I'm a man. I she's she's five foot three. I'm six foot. There's no way, you know, or what I look like being in an abusive relationship. So it was it was hard. It's hard for men because not only is it hard for them to take it seriously, a lot of times they may feel like law enforcement won't take them seriously. Their friends won't take them seriously. You don't really find shelters for men, you know. So a lot of them fear coming forward because I've had where they've said, the woman in their life said, you know, who's going, who do you think they're going to believe? I'll tell them you hit me. Whose side do you think they'll take? Yeah. Or if you report me, I'll take you. You'll never see your kids again. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole different set of barriers for men who are in abusive relationships. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I don't live in the U.S. now, so I, I just have some opinions from the past, but the, the social system in the U.S. has a lot of gaps, right? Um, and uh, the, and you, you mentioned your, your experience in terms of law enforcement or the, the, the prosecution and stuff like that. How is, how is the support system behind um, the support system behind these victims and these survivors? I will call it survivors. Victims is not the right word. I think I prefer survivors. What is yeah. the support system behind these survivors when you're not there, when they depend on the, on the government and the, 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 the law enforcement and so on? How, how is this working? Because if we just see American movies, it doesn't work very well, but right. they want to sell tickets, right? So <laughs> you never know how much of that is true or not. Um, what is your view on that? I've seen it both ways. You know, I remember being in my situation and calling the police. And I remember an officer who made me feel like I was this big. And, and that experience, I told myself I would never call the police again. And then I remember an incident, an instance with the police and this officer was so helpful. And so it's like, I remember both, they both impacted my story. So in speaking with survivors, I've heard both where they've had experience where the justice system did what it was supposed to do. They put the bad guy away. Everybody believed the survivor. The survivor was able to get the help they need. And then I've also seen the justice system fail where the abuser gets a slap on the wrist and they get on probation and they're told to take an anger management class. That's only like on a Saturday. 
you know, it's just like a four hour class. You're in a DMV longer than you're in this management class. And then the person goes back and does it again. And then they get a slap on the wrist again. And then they go back and do it again. And it's just like this vicious cycle. So I've seen it both ways. And I've seen it enough to where it doesn't work that I feel like I have to do more. You know, the laws need to be tougher. It shouldn't be so easy for an abuser to get a gun. That increases the chance of homicide for a victim if an abuser has a gun in the home. So I think that it just depends who you talk to. It depends what day. It depends what situation. Because you're always going to have that survivor who's just like, I didn't get help. And then you might have the one who's like, I couldn't have done it without their help. So it just depends. Um, you mentioned something that um, I think it's also interesting to, to dig a little bit. Um, and I'm not, talk, I'm not going to talk about gun, guns and the laws about US with gun possession. <laughs> that okay. will be a whole different podcast. Yeah, um, we don't want to. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's okay. We can also talk about it, but I, I, I think we could just speak for hours about yeah. the, 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 and I, I speak very openly about the, the, the consequences of that. Um, but you mentioned something that also brings my curiosity and it, it, it is a curiosity not in a good way. So um, how, many, how many, you talk with a lot of survivors and do you have a lot of experiences of um, survivors that somehow went back to the relationship and something went sideways, once went completely wrong after that? And um, I don't know if it happened to you, but it's just something I heard in different places. And I'm just curious if you also feel the same. Experience. Yeah, they, survivors, I mean, they go back all the time, yeah. you know? And sometimes it's heartbreaking, you mm-hmm. know? And when I first went into this, I was of the mindset that I'm gonna save everybody, that I'm gonna, get with these survivors and I'm going to say, you know what, girl, guy, you don't got to deal with that. And let's just, let's just leave and skip off into the fields with the flowers and we're going to know our worth and we're going to be all happy and everything is going to be good. And that's harsh reality. I've, I've watched with the survivor next to me, I've watched like police camera footage Mm-hmm. And we're watching the tape and the survivor has said, that's not me on the tape. Mm-hmm. And we're watching it together. And I'm like, no, it's you. And even that denial, no, it's not me. I've watched survivors get on the stand and just say, I tripped. I fell. Mm-hmm. I, oh, we were wrestling. Oh, they were just joking. And it, and it was just maybe 10, 15 minutes prior to that where we were in a room in private and I really thought I had, you know what, I got them, they're ready to leave. And then you see them, they completely change their story. And I, I learned, someone told me this quote once, they said, sometimes you have to meet people where they are and leave them there. Mm-hmm. And that was very hard for me because I was just like, I'm not leaving anybody anywhere. But the goal is to plant a seed because you're not going to save the world in one day, in one trip, in one try. You're not going to do that. So if you can plant something in someone that makes them think about it, whether it's the next day, whether it's the next week or the next year, as long as you plant that seed and you give them something to hold on to, then you've done your job. So people planted seeds 
in me. And at the time I wasn't listening, at the time I wasn't ready to accept it. And then when I was ready, it was just like, oh, you know, that person was right. They told me I deserve better. They told me that I could make it. And I did. So that's, that's the mindset I go into this, at least trying to plant that seed and knowing that if something doesn't sprout today, you know, maybe it will sprout tomorrow and maybe it will sprout before it's too late. And that's all I can do. And you do a lot. It's, uh, it's, not, a, it's not a small, small task. Yeah. Um, so I, I, see, I see a frame, and I don't see it anymore, but I, I was seeing before, um, that says happy. Um, oh, yes. Yes. It says, do what makes you oh so happy. Yes. It's, yeah, so it's right. Is, is, that, is, is that how you feel after these years and after this project? And that's not a project, but a foundation you have created. I think I already called it project when I talked to you the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not partial, you see. <laughs> um, did, is that something you can say you feel now? Uh, happiness and joy? Um, or, or is it still... A journey that you you need to to fulfill that. It's mm, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm happy, but this work is is very rewarding, but it's very draining. It's it's emotionally taxing because when you think about it, imagine coming from a very traumatic situation, and you, and you're out of it, but then you purposely deal with that trauma vicariously through other people every single day mm -hmm. so and it can be triggering it can bring you back to a place and you know i'm in a much healthier relationship now healthy marriage we're great but because i do advocacy i talk about my past a lot and i dredge up memories and and you know and i hear these things and i hear people's stories and Working at the prosecution office, I would see like terrible pictures, you know, crime scene photos, and I would go to court and hear terrible stories, and it's just like really heavy. So I've had to learn how to balance and compartmentalize and just know, okay, you know, I have to put that over here. I have to come home. I'm going to eat my cookies. I'm going to listen to some music. I'm going to have a good time with my family and my friends. And so I'm happy in life in general, but it's just still, when you work a job like this, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, you know, something it's, it's interesting is um, when you talk about your, your professional um, with advocacy, with, um, uh, with the law enforcement, with the, uh, sorry, legal. Like, yes. I was missing the right. <laughs> it's <laughs> um, late there. Yeah, it's very late, and also because I'm not a native, so I need to find the right word. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting as a message that there is this misconception that this type of problem just affects low um, um, uh, levels, and low levels not the right word, but the, 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 the society that is less educated or right. is working low-income jobs, and that's why they become violent. And that is a completely wrong thing, right? This can happen right. with anyone. Right, right. It's nothing to do with your with your education or or your uh, job. It's just to do with people, right? Right. It's, domestic violence has no face. There's no look. You don't see somebody walk past and say, "Oh, that's domestic violence." Like that's not how it works. I've talked to doctors, 
lawyers, presidents of huge organizations and corporations, housewives, college students, middle school students, high school students, you know, teachers, dentists, I mean, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, you know, older, younger, male, female, straight, heterosexual, I mean, everything. everyone, it doesn't matter if you are in a poverty stricken neighborhood or rich with the nice Mercedes and the Rolls Royce and all of that, it, it affects everyone, everyone. We all know someone who has gone through domestic violence, whether it's yourself or a friend or a family member, even if you don't know that they have, we all have someone in our lives who has been impacted by domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the last things I want to ask you is, um, in, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but domestic violence is not just someone hitting your face or punching your stomach, it's also verbal. Right. which has probably uh, as much impact on your mind and your self-esteem as physical violence, right? Right. With that, disregard the psychological violence, it did, not, it did not really hit me, so it's not really violence, right? Right. And domestic violence, before it gets physical, more times than not, has already had other elements of abuse before it turned physical. Mm-hmm. There's, like you said, psychological abuse. And you don't see any bruises left on me. But the words, yeah. Yeah, there's certain things. Like, I have to check myself. If my husband and I aren't speaking, and if I feel like his tone is even turning left, and I, and I know that he's not that person, and it's still, mm-hmm. it's, it's how that psychological abuse affected me. There's financial abuse, and 99% of abusive relationships where someone may be affected financially dependent on this person. You know, um, there's there's so many forms. There's digital abuse, like it's with social media. If someone's taking all your passwords and demanding the passwords to your email and your Facebook and your Instagram and all these things, and they're putting GPS trackers on your car and in your phone and it's just so many different types of abuse that go far beyond physical. Anisha, help me un- understanding uh, something else, um, and we probably have to do it a bit faster, but um, domestic violence is, and we, we don't just call domestic violence between a couple, right? Uh, right. If it could be between father and, 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 and children, it could be the other right. way around. Everything that happens within that, group, it's domestic violence. It's not just husband and wife, right? Correct, correct. So also a misconception that people has, right? Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be romantic partners. It could be, like you said, between parents, children. Like if you're in a house, basically defined as household members, romantic partners, so domestic violence. So I've seen where children are abusing their parents, parents are abusing their children, grandparents, grandchildren. I mean, it doesn't not just intimate partner violence. Okay, so um, I think we talked a lot about, uh, I tried to, to keep this as fluid as possible. Um, this is great. <laughs> thank you. Because um, I really enjoyed these conversations, that's why I, made it so, I make it so um, um, 
and structure because I, I do enjoy to learn about this, this thing. Right. Something, things, some things I don't really know much and I really like to learn about it. Um, usually I ask people to leave one last message and the last message is just a way you want people that finishes this podcast and this video um, and, and goes home and say, well, that's, that's something that resonates in my mind and I will think about it when I go home. Probably all the conversation will happen, but you know, final statement that people can remember. I would say if you're in a relationship or any type of friendship, work relationship, however, and you're questioning if you're being treated in a, in a way that's less than you deserve, you can give yourself all of the reasons in the world why you should go back, why you should accept that treatment. You can say for the kids, uh, for I got to keep my family together. I don't want to break this up. All these different things, all these different reasons, you can give yourself why you should go back, why it would be better for you to go back. But one thing I just want you to ask yourself when you're in that toxic relationship is why you deserve to go back. And, and that's a different question. No one can, you, you won't have an answer why you deserve to go back to being mistreated, to being treated less than you deserve. And I'll just leave you with that. And I think that's a fantastic way to live. Um, thank you very much for your thank time. Thank you. Get some sleep. <laughs> get some sleep right after. Um, <laughs> I most likely I will have to finish this and then listen to it again, so I figure out everything is okay. Okay. Um, so we don't lose it. But thank you for, for you, this conversation. I hope it's we, we, we keep connected and, and I will yes. for sure. I think your birthday was not so long time ago, right? It so was Sunday. Yes, it yes. was. Happy, late happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you so and, much. Um, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did because I did definitely enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. I did. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.